You may be seated. Are you in the fight? Do you feel the struggle? In John Bunyan's allegory of the Christian life, Pilgrim's Progress, one of my favorite pieces of literature, one study that I've done on numerous occasions, it's a wonderful work, but the central figure in Pilgrim's Progress, Christian, comes to the place after having come before the cross and had his burden removed. He came to the place of his journey, the journey of the Christian life, and he was alone. His friends had left him, and he was just to enter the valley of humiliation. And almost instantly, as he entered this next phase of the journey into the valley of humiliation, Apollyon, the enemy, came upon him and attacked him. Then Apollyon, writes Bunyan, espying his opportunity, began to gather up close to Christian and wrestling with him, gave him a dreadful fall. And with that, Christian's sword flew out of his hand. Then said Apollyon, I am sure of thee now. And with that, he had almost pressed him to death so that Christian began to despair of life. If you are a Christian and if you are on the journey of the Christian life, at some level, in some degree, you have experienced what Bunyan describes here as Christian faces spiritual conflict. And for some of us, we have been so attacked that we have come to the place of feeling like we are pressed to death itself and despairing for life. And in some cases, this spiritual warfare, this attack comes from without. It's the evil in our society, our culture, in our world, and other people, all fueled by Satan that comes and presses in on us. And we feel that struggle, and we feel being in the fight like Christian. But in my experience... The greater struggle, though not trying to demean the struggle from without the principalities and powers that are set against the kingdom of God and are bent on destroying the church, I do not mean to make light of the intensity of that battle, but my experience informs me of this. The greater struggle for me is not the battle, the fight that comes from without, but the battle, and the, fight, the battle and the fight that comes from within. It's the battle, the fight with the battlefield being our heart as we struggle to fight against the remaining stain of sin and pollution that is in our hearts, as we struggle with our pride 
as we struggle with our lustful passions, as we struggle with materialism, as we struggle with greed, as we struggle with living for self, unwilling to die for even the people closest to us and to serve them. If you are on the journey like Christian, you have experienced this battle at some level from without and from within. This really sounds pessimistic, doesn't it? (laughs) You can be honest. But I want to tell you something. It's reality. But I have good news for you. Because as we face the fact that this spiritual battle is great and it's upon us, and sometimes we do despair like Christian of life itself because of the intensity of that battle. I have wonderful news for you and me today, even from this passage in Daniel. There is much encouragement for you and me today as we journey through the valley of humiliation like Christian and face the spiritual struggle. And I want to show that to you today. I've got five things for us from this passage of Scripture. We want to look at, and you'll find this on the sermon outline somewhere in your bulletin. Uh, There's the fight. There's the days. We'll look thirdly at the combatants. And then the warrior. And lastly, the decree. And what I want to show you is that as great as this spiritual struggle is, as inevitable as it is, there is much encouragement for the child of God uh, today. Because we end where we began the service, talking about the sovereignty of God. So let's read the passage, Daniel chapter 10, verses 13 through the first verse of chapter 11. The prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days, but Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me, for I was left there with the kings of Persia, and came to make you understand what is happening to your people in the latter days. For the vision is for the days yet to come. When he had spoken to me according to these words, I turned my face toward the ground and was mute. And behold, one in the likeness of the children of man touched my lips. And then I opened my mouth and spoke. I said to him who stood before me, O my Lord, by reason of the vision, pains have come upon me, and I retain no strength. How can my Lord's servant talk with my Lord? For now no strength remains in me, and no breath is left in me. And again... One having the appearance of a man touched me and strengthened me. And he said, O man greatly loved, fear not, peace be with you, be strong and of good courage. And as he spoke to me, I was strengthened and said, Let my Lord speak, for you have strengthened me. 
And then he said, Do you know why I have come to you? But now I will return to fight against the prince of Persia. And when I go out, behold, the prince of Greece will come. But I will tell you what is inscribed in the book of truth. There is none who contends by my side against these except Michael, your prince. And as for me, in the first year of Darius the Mede, I stood up to confirm and strengthen him. Join me in prayer. Our Father, as we face once again the reality of the spiritual battle, as we consider just how desperately sometimes we do fight and struggle with the war that's raging uh, within, we're so grateful that in the midst of this, there's much encouragement. There is strength and there is peace. And there is a sovereign God who is in control. Remind us of these things today, we pray, for Jesus' sake. Amen. Well, while Daniel was uh, mourning and fasting and praying for those three weeks that we have been studying the last a couple of Sundays, there was a battle raging. And you may recall two weeks ago as we looked at chapter 10, verses 1 through 12, we, we found uh, Daniel, who had obviously heard a bad report from the exiles who had returned to Jerusalem two years earlier, that the rebuilding of the temple in Jerusalem had been halted because of opposition from the locals that had come against the people of God. And remember, this was the time of Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread, a time of celebration of God's deliverance that was to take place in Jerusalem, but no Passover would be celebrated in Jerusalem because of this opposition. And so we consider the fact that, that Daniel shows us what it means to, to pray on behalf of the, the people of God as he was still there in Babylon. He humbled himself before the Lord and prayed intercessory prayers for the workers. And in verse 12, we learn that the messenger, the speaker in our text today, came to Daniel in response to the words that he had spoken, that is, uh, Daniel's prayers. But now in verse 13, we are told that this heavenly messenger, the speaker that is in our text today, was delayed for 21 days uh, to come uh, to Daniel because he was in a fight. In verse 20, we learn that not only was he in a fight and was delayed for 21 days, but then after he gives this vision to Daniel, he will return uh, to fight against uh, the prince of Persia. So what is going on here? The opposition to rebuilding of the temple that precipitated Daniel's prayer was simply an outward expression of a greater conflict that was raging. In fact, a cosmic spiritual conflict between Satan and Christ. And we see the beginnings of this by texts like Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15 where we read, after the fall of mankind... God's saying, I will put enmity between you, that is Satan or the serpent, and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring, her offspring being Christ, he, Christ, shall bruise your head, and you 
Satan shall bruise his heel. And here we're given the fact that Jesus ultimately will be victorious over Satan. So we see that passages like Revelation chapter 11 beginning at verse 19 all the way through verse 20 of chapter 14 gives a vision of this conflict, this cosmic conflict between Satan and Christ. And the beginnings of it, we're told, in Revelation chapter 11 was the dragon, that is Satan, rebelling against God and and Michael, the angelic warrior, uh, cast Satan out of heaven. And then we're told also in this passage that, that now Satan being cast out of heaven is waiting for the woman that we learned about in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15 to give birth because his agenda, his intention is to devour the son that will be born to this woman. In in other words, to defeat Christ. And so we see in Revelation 12, for example, in verse 5, she gave birth to a male child one who is to rule all the nations with a rod of iron. But her child was caught up to God in heaven. And this cosmic fight is raging. Satan, is, Jesus has already won the victory on the cross in the empty tomb in the, tomb in the ascension. He is now enthroned in heaven, ruling and governing. And Satan is loosed here on earth, seeking to devour Christ's people, the church. Spiritual warfare today flowing out of this great cosmic conflict there is a fight going on and we feel expressions of that fight in the struggle from without and the struggle from within but now let's look at the days of this cosmic conflict we already said they spend the whole of period of human history from Genesis 3 until the end when Christ will return. But what is the meaning of the term in verse 14 that says, in the latter days? Because this vision that the heavenly messenger was coming to give Daniel was a vision for days in the future, days yet to come, says verse 14, for this period of the latter days. And is the text referencing the second century B.C. with the rise of Antiochus Epiphanes, we've already established that that is not the case, that Daniel is not about what's going to happen in the second century B.C. It's not about Antiochus Epiphanes. We've already seen this term latter days in Daniel chapter 2 and verse 28. Remember what happened there? In Daniel chapter 2, Nebuchadnezzar comes to Daniel finally and says, Daniel, please interpret this dream that I've had of the statue with the various metals. And Daniel interprets that dream. And part of that dream is that a little stone will be cut out of a mountain, not by human hands, and will crush the feet of that statue, and it will fall and be totally disintegrated. And, of course, that's referencing the little stone being Christ who will come and defeat the kingdoms of this world. And his kingdom will, will be a great kingdom. The little stone will become a great mountain. And so the point of the statue of Daniel chapter 2 is pointing us to the messianic age where Christ 
comes and ultimately will win the victory. And the view is strengthened by our understanding of the 70 weeks. Remember when we looked at Daniel chapter 9 and we looked at the fact that the 70th week, Christ will come and accomplish all that was necessary to bring about this full restoration to God's people. And he came to establish the Messianic age. So I would suggest to you and I would commend to us that the days of this conflict, the vision is about the days yet to come, the Messianic age. And here's the point for you and me today. The Messianic age was future to Daniel. Daniel was in the 6th century, but the Messianic age is upon you and me today. We're living in the latter days. And so this vision is for God's people in all time. And I want us to see that it's for you and me specifically uh, today. And so there's a fight. It's raging today. And who are the combatants? Who are the ones that are engaged in this uh, fight? Well, one com- there are four. And one combatant is mentioned and specified in verse 13. It's the heavenly messenger. It's the speaker. We are told that he withstood the prince of Persia for 21 days. Now, last week, we looked at chapter 10, verses 1 through 12 yet again, and our focus was on this heavenly messenger. You may remember from last week that we identified the heavenly messenger as the Lord himself, a theophany, and and I would even go so far as to say a Christophany. But even if that is not the case, it, it is showing forth the character of God. And so we see one combatant then in this fight is the Lord himself. But there's another combatant. We also see in verse 13 that there is this angelic figure mentioned by the name of Michael. And he's specified as one of the chief princes. And we might, might think of Michael, as one commentator put it, being the guardian angel of Israel or of God's people. Well, here's a question for us. It sure looks like the Lord needs help in this battle, doesn't it? Because Michael is there to help the Lord himself as he is being withstood by the prince of Persia. Well, the Lord doesn't need help from angels or from man, but he does choose to use means to bring about his purposes. In Jude chapter 9, Michael is identified as the archangel, the chief angel. In Revelation chapter 12, as we've already talked about, Michael is the chief angel who was used of God, God's means to cast the rebellious fallen angel Satan out of heaven. In Daniel chapter 10, verse 21, and also in Daniel chapter 11, verse 1, we have a reference there to the first year of Darius. And what those two passages understood together seem to indicate is that that Michael had a role to play in the declaration of Cyrus's decree to allow the exiles to return, but also in the fall of Babylon. And so my point is this, 
that this second combatant that we have in this passage, Michael, should be understood as a servant of the Lord through whom God works to bring about his sovereign plan. But there's a third player in this conflict. And he's identified as the prince of the kingdom of Persia, verse 13. Well, who is this prince that opposes the Lord himself? Notice that there, there are two entities that are described in verse 13 that are related to Persia. The prince of the kingdom of Persia, and then you'll see at the end of the verse, the kings of Persia. And I would suggest to you those are two different entities. And there's a reason for that. That here we find that as, as Michael is called a prince, a spiritual being, this prince of the kingdom of Persia is also a spiritual being. And I think it's best to understand this prince as the evil, an evil angel that is behind the scenes working in and through the kings of Persia to oppose God and his kingdom. And so we have the Lord himself, we have the servant of the Lord, Michael, and then we have the opponent, the prince of the kingdom of Persia, the evil angel that stands behind the kings of this world to oppose God. And this individual that represents the prince of Persia, we need to remember, is active today. Because the issues that we see in our culture, the issues that, that we see in our world, the, the problems, the opposition that we sense against Christians individually and the church corporately are fueled not by the earthly kings and the earthly rulers and the earthly institutions, but the principalities and powers that are set to oppose the kingdom of God. But there's a fourth combatant here. In verse 14, the Lord gives this vision to Daniel so that he would understand, in this phrase, what is to happen to your people. Daniel's people, the people of God, Israel, and in our context, the church. If you look at Revelation chapter 13 and verse 7, we read that the dragon, that is Satan, his agenda, his intention is to oppose Christ by defeating the church. Listen to what Revelation thirteen seven says, that, that the dragon makes war on the saints and to conquer them. And we find this glorious truth. In Revelation chapter 12 and verse 10. And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down. Who accuses them by day and night before our God. And they have conquered him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. For they love not their lives even unto death. And what that text is saying is though Satan's agenda is to oppose Christ by conquering the church, Jesus has already won the victory. And we stand in his victory. We stand covered literally in his blood, pardoned, forgiven, justified, empowered. 
And though Satan seeks to conquer us, he will never conquer the church. And even if we give our physical lives unto death, we do what? Not die. (laughs) We live. Christ has conquered death. Christ has conquered the grave. Christ has brought us out of bondage to sin. Christ has conquered Satan already. We're combatants. But brothers and sisters, cheer up. We're on the winning side. We've got the victor who shed his blood that Satan would never conquer us, oppress us, concern us, disturb us, seek to trip us up, bring us right to the place of thinking, I'm pressed unto death, but he'll never separate us from Christ. And we can take courage in that. We can have peace because of that. We can be emboldened and enlivened because of that. But there's something else here. The Lord was left in verse 13 with the kings of Persia. In other words, here is the Lord for 21 days being withstood by the, by the prince of the kingdom of Persia. And there Michael, his servant, was doing the Lord's bidding in this battle. And who left the field of battle? It wasn't the Lord himself. It was the prince of Persia. The Lord himself was left with the kings of Persia, meaning he was victorious in this particular skirmish. I think it anticipates the victory that, that we have in Christ. You see, in this passage that could, that could cause such, such fear and consternation in God's people, there are nuggets of glorious truth and encouragement here for us. As we fight the battle in the latter days. So there's a cosmic conflict that's being waged in our age, the messianic age, the Lord himself and his angelic host and his people are in this war. The church is ground zero for this battle. And Satan's agenda is to destroy the church, but we've already learned that it will never be destroyed. That we're already prevailing in the battle. And now let's look at, at how we are to fight. Let's, let's look at the warrior. You know, in verses 9 through 12, the effect of, of Daniel being before the Lord, we looked at this last week, uh, resulted in Daniel fearing, Daniel's strength being totally taken away, Daniel being so overcome that he, that he fell on his face, and we might even say Daniel just passed out because of the awesomeness of being before the heavenly messenger. He was undone completely. And then what happened? The heavenly messenger, the Lord himself, reached out and touched Daniel and said, Daniel, stand. And so Daniel stood, hands and knees, trembling. And then then he lifted him on up and he was standing on his two feet, trembling, but he was standing. And then we come to the passage today in verse 15. Daniel once again is fearing He once again has lost his strength there in verse 15. He is, he may be, he didn't fall to the ground this time, but you know what happens when you feel shame? What do you do? You can't look someone in the eye. Daniel is looking to the ground as if to, to, 
show that he's just in shame and undone before the Lord. And not only that, but he was mute, couldn't speak. And what did the Lord do? Verse 16, he touched Daniel's lips and Daniel spoke. And what did Daniel say? Daniel said this, Lord, your vision pains me. It's about conflict and struggle. And I'm greatly concerned. And he had no strength. And the effect of this on Daniel caused him to express how unworthy he was to even utter a syllable before God. Verse 17. And what I take from verses 15, 16, and 17 in line of verses 9 through 12, yet again, Daniel needed the Lord himself to show grace to do something so that he could stand and face the vision of the Lord. And we find in verses 18 and 19 a beautiful picture of God's grace. The Lord once again touched Daniel. The Lord gave Daniel strength. Once again, the Lord says to Daniel, I love you. As Daniel anticipated this vision, he was commanded not to fear. As, As Daniel was brought to understand the severity of the conflict in the latter days, peace was pronounced upon him. And as Daniel was likely racked, not likely, was racked with fear and weakness before this sobering message of the Lord himself, Daniel was commanded to be strong and of good courage as he faced the realities of this vision. And this is what Daniel said. Daniel said, I, Daniel did not say, I strengthened myself. That's not what he said. Daniel said, I was strengthened. In other words, the act of strengthening was brought by God to Daniel. The Lord graciously empowered Daniel, strengthened him. And here's the lesson for you and me today. We keep needing to go to Jesus because of our fear, because of our weaknesses and frailty. We live by faith. We're to over and over again, in light of the spiritual battle in particular, is what we're talking about today. We go to Him by faith, where we receive His grace of strength and peace, where He says, Be of good courage, be strong in me. And our God is all-powerful. He is the one who strengthens us. And we are called to stand in the strength of the Lord by faith. This is how we are to fight as warriors in the fray. Listen to this. Isaiah 41.10. Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you by my righteous right hand. And consider this from John's gospel in chapter 16, where Jesus our Lord said, Behold, the hour is coming. Indeed, it has come when you will be scattered, each to his own home, and will leave me alone. 
Yet I am not alone, for the Father is with me. I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. We can have peace as we face the struggle in this world because Christ Jesus has overcome the world. He is the victor, and by faith we stand in him. Another way to say this is simply to, not simply, powerfully, wonderfully, unbelievably, to say it this way, the Lord is my strength. Uh, We stand in his strength and power as we seek to wage war. But even more... He's not only our strength, he really is the warrior, isn't he? He is the one who fights for us. The battle is the Lord's. This is what we read in Scripture. As little David with a slingshot and five little stones was standing before the Philistine army and the great giant Goliath, this is what he said. And that all this assembly may know that the Lord saves not with sword and spear, For the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hand. And as Moses is there between the Red Sea to his back and the Egyptian army bearing down on the people of God who have just left Egypt, and they are freaking out because they're all going to get killed because the Egyptians are bearing down on them, and there's no place to go. This is what Moses said. Fear not, stand firm, and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. Listen to this. The Lord will fight for you. And here's what you do. And you have only to be silent. Don't you love it? Our God is the warrior. And then Nehemiah, since we're talking about the exiles returning, wonderful passage or verse in Nehemiah chapter 4 and verse 20. There, you know, the work was delayed on the wall because of the oppression of the locals. And this is what Nehemiah says, In the place where you hear the sound of the trumpet, rally to us there. Our God will fight for us. Is that not encouraging? As you journey the Christian life like Christian and Pilgrim's Progress, and as the minute you step foot in the next phase, Apollyon, the attacks start coming, and to know that our God fights for us. He's the warrior. In Him we have strength and power. The battle is the Lord's. He gives us peace, strength, and courage to fight the good fight of faith. The passage Carl read earlier from 1 Timothy, but as for you, O man of God, flee these things. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith. Take holy eternal life to which you were called. I might rephrase what Moses said. Instead of The Lord will fight for you, and you have only to be silent. The Lord will fight for you, and you have only to believe. To have faith. That's the fight of faith. Believing upon Jesus and receiving all that he has for us. To stand strong in him. To be about the business of of journeying down the Christian life. 
resting in Him, the fight of faith. First Timothy ends by describing God in this way, the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, who alone has immortality and dwells in inapproachable light. So as, as Timothy encourages, as Paul encourages Timothy to fight the good fight of faith, he, he ends with this reality of God's sovereign. And Timothy, everything you and, and everything God's people experience in the fight of faith and the journey of the Christian life is totally under the sovereign plan of God. And you can rest in his plan, for his plan is to bless his people. And wouldn't you know it, Daniel chapter 10 ends with the same reality. It ends with a very powerful note of God's sovereignty. And I want to show you that. Look at verse 21. Verse 21 says there's something inscribed in the book of truth. And, and so what, what does this mean? I take it to simply mean this. The book of truth is the sovereign plan of God for the world and especially for his church. And as we relate this inscription in the book of truth, the sovereign plan of God to the spiritual battle that is upon us now, has been raging for all of human history, but in these latter days, in this messianic age, is upon the church. We take great comfort in the fact that, that first of all, the battle, the whole battle, is all part of God's plan. Not one skirmish is left to chance. God has predetermined every... Now, some of you may say, I don't like that predetermined business about God. It makes me feel like a puppet. I'm happy to be a puppet when it comes (laughs) to living the Christian life in the sense that we're not puppets. That's just false thinking. But the fact that the opposition that we as the church experience from culture and from institutions that are trying to hinder the church is all part of God's plans. He has a purpose for it. And we fight faithfully the fight of faith in that opposition, knowing that God is going to work it out to bless his church in the end. And it's not in vain. All the mess that we're dealing with in our culture today, brothers and sisters, we get so aggravated and upset about it. It's not in vain. God has a plan for it. God has a, it's not in vain that our country did the unthinkable in legalizing abortion or same-sex marriage. God's going to use it as part of his plan, and we need to trust him. Doesn't mean we like it, but it means he's sovereign. And as we face the, the, the battle, the spiritual battle, like Christian walking, the journey to Christian life, the battlefield of our hearts, as we struggle with our own sinfulness, and we feel despairing of life because of how wretched a good Christian boy like me can really be, 
It's not in vain. God is sovereign even over that. And he will use it to bring repentance and to bring greater faith. He'll use it to bring about his purposes. This vision is sobering. This vision, Daniel said, pains me. But the heavenly messenger, the Lord himself says, Daniel, be at peace. Be strong and of good courage. Because I'm sovereign over every, every aspect of the battle. And will bring about the appointed end to bless my people. The cosmic fight is upon us in our age. The church is part of that conflict. Our God strengthens us to fight the good fight of faith. The battle really is His. He is the one who fights for us. And every aspect is under His sovereign plan. Thus, we must live by faith. We must rest in the fact that we are more than conquerors. But as God would have it, writes Bunyan, while Apollyon was fetching of his last blow, thereby to make a full end of this good man, Christian nimbly reached out his hand for his sword and caught it, saying, Rejoice not against me, O mine enemy. When I fall, I shall arise. And with that gave him a deadly thrust, which made him give back as one that had received his mortal wound. Christian, perceiving that, made it him again, saying, Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. And with that, Apollyon spread forth his dragon's wings and sped him away. Christian saw him no more. The good fight of faith being more than conquerors by resting and trusting in Jesus who has already won the victory. May we be encouraged as we fight. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the victory that Jesus has already won. We thank you that nothing can separate us from the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you, Father, that as we struggle with opposition from without, with our own sin from within, It's not in vain that you're sovereign. Lord, give us courage. Give us hope. Grant us peace. Give us strength. Cause us, Father, to flee to Jesus, to trust him, to rest in him, to fight the good fight of faith. And we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.